Hi, I'm Bob Ekblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I want to talk about how Jesus heals two individuals in Luke 8, 40-56. Now, in these stories, we see that Jesus' disciples are with him, and we as readers are invited along, and we're given a lot of details by the writer of Luke that um, the crowd itself isn't privy to, and perhaps the disciples aren't either. So I think we're invited, and we're given this sort of insider look at how Jesus operates in, you know, in healing these people. And this can really inspire us in our own practice of trying to follow Jesus. And, you know, as pupils, as learners, in, um, and I think there's just so much here. So let's begin by just looking at what happens immediately prior to these stories. In Luke 8, and earlier in Luke, Jesus is among his own people, the Jewish people. And he's in Galilee at this point, and he's in synagogues, and he's teaching the people, and he's going from village to village. But then he tells his disciples in Luke 8, verse 22, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So here he takes this mission trip with the 12 and they go to the country of the Gerasenes. And uh, there they encounter a violent demoniac who was living in the tombs, who fell before Jesus and cried out to him for mercy. And there's this beautiful story of Jesus's um, engaging with this man and casting out this legion of demons from the man into these pigs, which are destroyed in the sea. And then um, the herdsmen, they're, they're, they rush to the village and tell everyone what's happened. And the villagers, they end up driving Jesus out of town. Um, the man, he's clothed in his right mind. He wants to go with Jesus, but instead Jesus sends him back to his village and to his household. And he commissions him, really. This is like the commissioning, almost like of an apostle. Um, perhaps the first. And um, now in the story that we're going to read in, um, you know, beginning in verse 40, another man falls down before Jesus and begs him for mercy because this man's young daughter is dying. And so let's read from Luke 8, 40 to 42. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. So what is happening in this story? Who comes to Jesus and why? So we see Jesus returns from his mission across the lake, and a synagogue official named Jairus comes to Jesus he falls down at his feet and he begs him to come to his house because his only daughter, who's 12, is dying. Now, um, interestingly, we have um, this official who's actually um, has a name. His name's Jairus. But the term official in Greek is, is actually the term arche, which is the language of the powers. It's like uh, when we read Paul's uh, use of that term, say, in you know, Ephesians 6, where it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers. That's the same term as, as what's used here. The, a ruler, a synagogue ruler, 
or you know when when Jesus says that um, in or excuse me, Paul talks about you know the powers, the language of the powers in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. You know how um, every ruler and authority and power will will be destroyed. That's the same term, arche. And so here we have um, a contrast between the Gerasene demoniac who falls at Jesus's feet and now uh, someone who is an official, but who also has a name. So uh, this man comes and he falls at his feet and begs him to come to his house. And, um, and Jesus goes with Jairus and the crowd presses against him. So here we have the language of prayer, don't we? Falling down and imploring or begging. Um, Jairus publicly falls at Jesus's feet and begs him to come. And uh, we, we know it's public because there's a crowd pressing in on Jesus as he walks, you know, to the, the official's house. In other gospel stories, we see, you know, others falling down before Jesus. This term, pipto, uh, to fall down, is, uh, you know, is really, it's used quite a bit. A leper falls on his face before Jesus and begs him for healing in Luke 5.12. A Samaritan leper falls on his face at Jesus' feet and thanks him for healing him in Luke 17, 16. Mary falls at Jesus' feet, lamenting the death of her brother Lazarus in John eleven thirty two. 32. Falling is an act of humble surrender before someone, such as when a slave falls before a master. And um, so here, this is a real humble act, isn't it? You know, um, and a, someone who's a ruler uh, submits to Jesus, and uh, he's desperate because he has a daughter who is a 12-year-old girl who he, he adores, and that drives him to this point of desperation. So let's see what happens as they're on their way. Luke 8, 43 to 44. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Now who comes to Jesus? What do we know about this woman? What does she do and what happens to her? So here we have a woman who is described as having a hemorrhage for 12 years. Now we are the only ones that know that um, because Jesus isn't even described as knowing it. You know, he, we're going to see that he notices power coming out of him, but you know, we're given this insider information about the woman. Uh, that she couldn't be healed by anyone. And so the scripture describes her as coming up behind him. So here's a real contrast between both the Gerasene demoniac who falls down before Jesus and Jairus, the, this ruler of the synagogue who falls down before Jesus. This woman came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And um, immediately her hemorrhage stopped. So in contrast to a synagogue official who's still got to wait for Jesus to show up to his home to, uh, you know, to help him uh, with his daughter, who's at the point of death. Here we have an immediate healing that is uh, that happens in response to a woman, a nameless woman, you know, who um, who kind of covertly, um, in a way, just kind of st steals a healing from Jesus. So how, again, is this woman's approach to Jesus different from Jairus's? 
Well, the woman is probably poor as she spent everything on doctors. She's nameless, whereas Jairus has a name. She's afflicted, whereas Jairus comes to Jesus and risks his reputation because he loves his dying daughter. But Jairus is coming advocating for his daughter. He's not himself sick. She comes up secretly behind Jesus in the crowd and touches the fringe of his garment, whereas Jairus approaches Jesus in front of a huge crowd publicly. So let's look at what happens next in Luke 8, 45 to 46. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. So how does Jesus respond and why? And why do you think Jesus asked this question? Well, we see that Jesus says, um, Who is the one who touched me? And um, interestingly, we have this phrase, and while they were all denying it. So, so apparently Jesus stated this out loud in a way that the crowd around him could hear, and the woman likely could hear, and everyone was denying it. And Peter responds um, in a practical, matter-of-fact way, like, hey, Jesus, or he says, Master, the people are crowding in and pressing in on you. And that would be just an obvious explanation, wouldn't it? But Jesus says, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me. So somehow, even though Jesus wasn't aware of who it was, um, he felt something happening that was drawn out of him from this, um, you know, from this woman's touching of, his, of, of the tassel, not even touching his, his body. So... Um, why did Jesus ask this question? You know, it, it, it seems that Jesus wanted a relationship. He, he didn't want someone, I guess, coming and benefiting from him without him knowing that person in some kind of a face-to-face -face way. Is, could that be the reason? Or, you know, or perhaps Jesus, um, you know, just wants uh, this person to come out in the open because there's a, a deeper healing that is needed. And, um, Let's look and see what happens in the next part of this. Um, so one thing we can say about this is that Jesus is modeling God's speaking to someone outside the system, someone on the margins. Um, you know, we see that this is kind of an embodiment of the Magnificat, you know, the, the psalm that Mary prays when she talks about how God is raising up the humble to make them sit with princes and he's, he's bringing down the powerful. And, and that's actually happening in a physical way. And uh, so perhaps Jesus is calling out of this woman is a way of raising her up. But, but let's see what happens exactly. Luke 8, 47 to 48. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she touched him and how she'd been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So here we see that the woman was one of the deniers, right? Um, or maybe she was just silent. And But when she saw that she wasn't going to go undetected, that Jesus was, you know, was looking around and was asking the question, who 
you know, who touched me? Um, it says when the woman saw that she'd not escaped notice. Um, then she decided to come out in the open and she uh, confessed, really. She came trembling and she fell down before him. But what's interesting, this is a really different kind of falling down before Jesus because she's falling down not as a supplicant, not in a desperate attempt to get a breakthrough and, you know, a healing, but she's falling down actually um, after, as someone who's already been healed because uh, what she declares in the presence of all the people is, uh, well, first she she describes the reason why she touched him, you know, how she'd gone to spend everything on doctors, right? And, uh, and then how upon touching him, she had immediately been healed. Wow. So she's bearing witness to this miracle. And, um, and he says to her daughter, and, um, wow, it's, that's, that's really interesting because in contrast, um, to Jairus, who is actually advocating for, you know, his 12 year old daughter, here we have a woman who's had a hemorrhage for 12 years, who is advocating for herself. She has no one. And Jesus now steps in as her advocate, uh, taking the place of the father and calling her daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Um, go in peace. So Jesus elevates this woman um, who has fallen before him trembling and gives her the credit for the healing. You know, um, he could have easily said, yes, you know, uh, power came out of me because I'm the son of God. You know, I'm the Messiah. Um, I'm the man of power for the hour. But what she, what Jesus does is um, actually gives her all the credit. Um, he dignifies her by calling her daughter and then um, elevates her as having the faith that actually made her well. And so he doesn't take any credit. And then he sends her away in peace, you know, um, free of any kind of guilt or shame that he, she might have carried for, you know, for coming up secretly. So how does the woman respond to Jesus's, uh, you know, question if we just look um, a little bit more closely at this. You know, we, we've, we've already seen how, how the woman comes trembling and, and how this, um, she falls. Now the falling, it is before him is a little different. It's the verb, instead of pipto, it's prospipo, which means to prostrate oneself before someone. Um, it implies supplication, but, you know, but there's no supplication. So it could be translated to fall down before. And, um, and when the woman bears witness, she's doing something similar to what Jesus had sent the Gerasene demoniac to do after his deliverance in Luke 8, 39, right? Uh, but without even Jesus telling her, go and, and tell um, your household and the region, you know, what the Lord has done for you. The woman spontaneously bears witness. And that is, you know, that that's powerful because she's she's freed. Um, you know, to do that by, you know, by Jesus calling her out. And, um, and Jesus says nothing in terms of, you know, like interrogating her or uh, shaming her, you know, for secretly, you know, coming and touching him, which would have technically made Jesus unclean, considering that she had a hemorrhage, she was bleeding. And according to Jewish ceremonial law, anyone who um, 
you know, who's touched by someone who's bleeding is, is contaminated and made unclean. But, but there's no mention of that by Jesus. So, um, let's look at the next story now, what happens. Because we're still waiting to see what's going to happen to the, you know, to this daughter of, the, of Jairus. So, Luke 8, 49 to 50. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of a synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. So what come, What news comes next and how does Jesus respond? So while Jesus is still speaking you know, to the woman and saying, your faith has made you well, go in peace. There's an interruption and someone from... Um, the rulers of the synagogue's house, you know, comes and says um, to the to the ruler, "Your daughter has died." And you know what this person says is is a bit disturbing, you know, because they say, "Don't trouble the teacher anymore." Like like that was troubling the teacher to you know approach him and to ask him for that you know for that favor. And it shows kind of a mindset, doesn't it? That you know that that the the sickness of this daughter is, you know, is trouble for Jesus. And, you know, and so stop bothering Jesus. Um, it's too late is basically what they're saying. And Jesus, when he hears this, he answers the man who hasn't even asked anything, but just directly addresses him um, in a prophetic way, I believe. Do not be afraid any longer. What would he have been afraid of? Well, as a father myself, I know that I would be afraid of it just being too late. That um, Jesus was interrupted by this encounter with this this woman who secretly touched him and and interrupted his movement towards the house. And now it's too late, and I'd be afraid that clearly it was too late because she was dead. And um, but Jesus says, "Don't be afraid any longer. Only believe." and she will be made well. So here Jesus uh, doesn't emphasize himself at all, does he? He doesn't say, don't be afraid any longer. I'm Jesus, the Son of God. I will heal her. Rather, um, Jesus puts all the emphasis on him believing and then says she will be made well, but doesn't say I will make her well. This is like uh, what we could call the divine passive. She will be made well. Well, by whom? It doesn't say by Jesus. Um, it doesn't say by God, but there's an assumption that it's it's God who's going to heal. So let's see what happens next. Um, so um, Luke eight fifty one. When he came into the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. So the first thing um, we see is that Jesus came to the house. So he didn't um, allow that word, don't trouble the teacher any longer to stop him. He showed that he was in no way troubled and in no way stopped by this bad news that would have normally affected, you know, anyone, any one of us. And of course, we would have probably gone to, to you know, to grieve with them, with the grieving family, right? Um, but Jesus comes and... Um, why didn't he allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the girl's father and mother? Why do you think? 
Well, um, I believe that it's it's quite likely that um, that Jesus doesn't want to have um, any naysayers along with him going into this uh, this place of um, soon we're going to see that there's a lot of mockery that are, that's happening. People, those that are mourning and, and grieving the death of this girl, you know, they they mock Jesus, and um, that's an environment of unbelief, isn't it? So Jesus brings you know, only his, uh, his, his most um, trusted disciples and then also the girl's parents into this place. And in contrast to, you know, to the public, you know, healing of this woman, um, I guess we only know about that through the woman's testimony. Here, uh, whatever's going to happen is going to be in the secrecy of, you know, of Jairus's home. So, um, Let's see what happens in 52 to 53. So now they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. So what a strange scene. You know, what is happening in this house? And how does Jesus respond? And how do the people respond to Jesus? So all the people are weeping and lamenting for her. And um, and look what Jesus says, stop weeping. I mean, you know, um, as someone who is trained to actually walk alongside people who are grieving, uh, this is the last thing that I think I would imagine saying in a setting like this, right? But um, Jesus comes with a certain confidence that um, is very challenging, isn't it? And at the same time, Jesus is setting things up to absolutely um, take no credit for whatever's going to happen apart from possibly just waking her up. You know, um, he says, stop weeping because she hasn't died. She's asleep. And so uh, Jesus is setting things up for, you know, for, for himself to leave the scene uh, in a way that um, isn't taking any glory or, or credit for whatever's going to take place. And the people laugh at him because they, they know he's died or she's died. So they know it's too late. And um, so Jesus then goes into the house in 54 to 56. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. And her parents, her parents were amazed but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. So what does Jesus do next? And what instructions does he give? So in the face of these um, people who are mocking him, you know, who are laughing when he says, you know, don't cry, you know, she's asleep. You know, Jesus moves towards the girl, takes her by the hand and calls, saying, child, arise. Just a simple, um, child arise, right? And um, in Mark's account, Jesus says to her, Talitha kum, in uh, Aramaic, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately she gets up and Jesus tells people to give her something to eat. And her parents are amazed. So, so what, what is going on here? It's, it's so interesting. It's, it's like, once again, it's the little girl that is, uh, getting up just in response to being woken up. And um, 
And then Jesus tells her parents uh, to give her something to eat, which is something that any parent would do to a girl that would wake up in the morning. You know, just give her breakfast. Although we don't know what time of day it was, right? But So how is this story of healing different from the previous story about the bleeding woman? Well, here we see that Jesus takes the initiative to touch the little girl. He takes her by the hand and he speaks to her in contrast to, um, you know, the woman who takes the initiative to touch Jesus's uh, fringe of his, of his garment and, um, and not speak to him, right? So Jesus um, is the instigator here. And, um, and this is really the first movement of Jesus towards someone because all the other actions have been, you know, people coming to Jesus. I mean, Jesus does go to the Gerasene demoniac, but he comes to meet him and falls at his feet. Uh, then when he comes, goes back across the lake, the Jairus, the synagogue official, falls before Jesus and takes the initiative, uh, asking him to, to come and to, and to heal his daughter. And then the woman um, takes the initiative, coming from behind and touching the fringe. But here Jesus um, moves towards the girl and he speaks to her, touches her and speaks to her. And his communication with her is private rather than public. And then Jesus instructs the witnesses not to tell anyone what has happened in contrast to, you know, the, the, the public, um, you know, the publicizing that the Gerasene demoniac um, is, is told, you know, to engage in and, and that the woman spontaneously offers to, um, you know, when, when she falls trembling at Jesus's feet. So what does this story tell us about how we can make contact with Jesus and how he might respond? So we see that all people can freely come to Jesus from important officials to chronically ill women filled with shame. Jesus is present wherever people are in need. He's available and can be approached publicly or privately. Jesus responds effectively to people's needs and brings healing. Jesus uses a unique approach with each person who comes to him. He pursues relationship rather than simply fixing the problem miraculously. Jesus brings dignity, hope, and empowerment to those he helps. Jesus gives the credit um, to the people who he's helping rather than taking the credit himself. You know, so his his empowering is really uh, like affirming the agency of these people. And um, and he's modeling a, a humble approach, which I believe we as his followers, his, his, his students, you know, we should we should look at carefully and think about what that would mean for us. Um, you know, it's it's just such a beautiful story, these two stories. And, and, and every time I look at them, I, I'm just I'm amazed. Do you feel drawn to Jesus as he reveals himself himself in these stories? Do you need Jesus to help you with any personal problems? I think it's appropriate to take a moment to to just express our you know our feelings towards Jesus regarding you know just what we've what we've heard and you know just what we witnessed I guess through you know through this Bible study
I invite you to tell Jesus how you feel drawn to him and how you might desire to follow him. And I invite you to draw near to Jesus in prayer, sharing your needs silently or out loud. And then I'm going to pray. Thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you. And we come to you in our desperation. We come to you um, with the people and the situations, uh, our concerns that are beyond what we ourselves can, you know, can, can fix, can find resolution for. You know, we come to you. Um, we fall down before you, Lord. Uh, some of us maybe feel more in need to come secretly. You know, we we feel shame. Thank you, Lord, that you are available to us. You know, that that you let this woman get away with touching you and 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 that suggests that that's possible for us to do do it secretly, to do it like this woman did. Thank you, Jesus, that you show us that. In catching her, you you didn't ex expose her to shame, but rather you empowered her, you lifted her up, you you gave her a voice, you freed her from any stigma, you know, you sent her away in peace. Thank you, Jesus, that death is not um, a sign that it's too late, that you can't intervene and bring life from the dead. Thank you for this amazing story of, you know, how you, you know, privately healed this young girl and restored her to her father and mother. We just ask that you would inspire us, you know, by your humble way of using your authority and your love. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to step into um, active involvement as your followers in the world, in the relationships that we have you know with people in our community and our families just give us the grace and the faith to be able to live like you did pray in your name jesus amen